Hey, welcome to the Night Church Podcast. My name is Philip, and I am so excited for what you're about to listen to. These are sermons and presentations by young adults and for young adults. If you're visiting in the area, we hope that you join us for Night Church on Friday nights. Or if you're a regular here in Loma Linda, I hope that you'll share this sermon with someone that you love and care about. Now, for the sermon. since we've had night church so it really does feel like it's a reunion or something like everyone's like so excited to see each other hi Brenda and Chanel I see you guys Jade I see you. Yeah, so good to see everyone here so I can't figure out my iPad what is going on okay here we go but it is lovely to be back at night church and good to have Phil back here too welcome back from Europe Woo! so good to see you well, friends, my name is Kelly, and I'm the intern pastor here at Praxis, and tonight we're starting our new summer series that will actually align with what Pastor Randy is preaching on Saturday mornings, um, and that sermon series is based off of Revelation. So this series is called Finding Jesus in Revelation, and for the next six weeks after this, our Praxis elders and Pastor Phil and I will be teaching on our findings of Jesus in the book of Revelation, which I realize is actually really daunting, and I absolutely know nothing about this book, really, because for most of my life, I've actually avoided reading Revelation. Anyone else? Like, do you, do you yeah, you don't really enjoy Revelation, right? But I've also realized that it is such a beautiful story. And as I've read more commentary on it, it's really opened my eyes to the exciting parts of how we can read Revelation in a deep and meaningful way that can make it relevant to your life today. But I think I was feeling a little apprehensive about this deep dive into Revelation because last night I had a dream that we were in an apocalyptic world and someone was trying to steal my family heirloom, heirloom ring, which was my only possession in my dream. But it's also really funny because in reality, I don't have a family heirloom ring, but I was like grasping onto it and like running away like, no, you can't catch me. And I managed to run away from the bad guys. And so I have the most bizarre dreams. And every morning, <laughs> my poor husband will wake up to me and I'll go, hi, I just had a really crazy dream again. And so he listens to all the crazy dreams I've had. But if you were to ask me, like, why do you have dreams of the apocalypse? Or if I were to tell you the other dreams I've had, I've had dreams where, like, zombies literally eat my friends in front of me. Or I'm working as a waitress, and I have to box a five-foot burger the shape of a marlin fish into a five-foot-long burger box, and it doesn't make any sense. Or how you can breathe underwater like a mermaid. I don't know if anyone else has like breathing underwater experiences. But some of you guys might interpret my dreams as just craziness. But others of you might think of various schools of interpretation, such as, as Carl Jung or Sigmund Freud. But just like how there are different schools of interpretation for dreams, there's also different schools of interpretations for the book of Revelation. There's actually four different ones. And as a disclaimer, I would like to say that if you really want a good overall context of how to understand the book of Revelation, 
please listen to Pastor Randy's sermon from last weekend, last Saturday. He defines the four main schools of interpretation of the book of Revelation. There's pre-terrorist, futurist, historicist, and idealist or spiritual. And it's really interesting because this is where we get a lot of our outlook of the end times. For example, if some of us have grown up thinking that there's some of us special people that will be raptured, will be disappeared. And there's going to be a period of seven years waiting for Jesus to return. In the meantime, the economy is going to collapse. Governments are going to battle for power and natural disaster strikes. You probably learned the end times from a futurist approach. If you've grown up with the idea that there's a small remnant of people, specifically 144,000, they'll be rescued from this evil world and have a strong bias against certain Christian churches for negatively impacting the reformers, then you probably learned the end times from a historicist approach, which is where a lot of Adventists actually learn about the end times from. But then there's one that I've rarely heard of, but I love learning this approach. And it's called the spiritual or also symbolic or also idealist approach. And this school of interpretation follows a much more personal application of the book of Revelation. And it's actually a lot less scary because you learn the importance of the symbols and the numbers, which in turn will help you realize that everyone's going to face tough times. But God seeks to reach each person where they are. And as one scholar says, each person is free to find their own meaning in the book of Revelation. That's quite freeing to think that. But this series, Pastor Randy on Saturday mornings, and then our Praxis elders and Pastor Phil on Friday nights, will do our best to focus on the spiritual and idealist school of interpretation. So our question for you to answer throughout this series is, what does this mean to you right now in your life? And this sermon will highlight the foundational ways to find Jesus in the book of Revelation and how you can read it and interpret it in a different way. So that being said, I am just curious, if you could just talk to the person next to you, which school of interpretation is the closest one that you've learned? Is it the one where you know about the remnant? Is it the one where you know disaster strikes? Is it the one where you know everyone's going to get raptured? Is it more of what does this mean to you right now in the present? Please just discuss. I'm just curious how many of you guys have learned the end times or revelations. All right, that being said, I hope that you guys were able to talk a little bit about what Revelation was like growing up. Hopefully it wasn't too scary, but I know in my life it's always been just like doom and gloom. And so I really hope that we can reverse and unlearn that and relearn a new version of reading Revelation. So that being said, we're going to go through the first three chapters of Revelation. So open up your Bibles with me, whether you have a physical Bible or if you have your phone, we're going to go to Revelation 1.1, and I'll be reading out of the NIV. 
So Revelation 1.1 says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, stop right there. We're just going to read those five words. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Many translations will actually say the revelation of Jesus Christ or from Jesus Christ. And according to the original language in Greek, it can actually be assumed to be both. So this is a revelation of Jesus Christ and from Jesus Christ. And because we're viewing revelations from the idealist school of approach, every time we are reading revelation, we're going to ask ourselves, okay, if this is of Jesus and from Jesus, what is Jesus revealing himself here? And how is this a revelation of Jesus? The word revelation, is the root word of it is apocalypse, which means to reveal, meaning John is revealing more about Jesus that at the time these early Christians did not know about. So this means that we, today's time, can also get a fresh revelation of, what Jesus, of who Jesus Christ is through this letter. This book is being introduced as an opening of Jesus Christ himself and how we can find Christ more closely in every sense of the word. It's a revelation of Jesus in the midst of world events, in the midst of our personal lives, and within our church. And that's pretty cool, right? But why is John, the author of Revelation, using super confusing symbols, and why can't he just tell us as it is? Well, the historical context is super important. John is currently a prisoner of the Roman government, government, and he's living on a deserted island of Patmos. And at the time, Roman authorities are beginning to enforce emperor worship, which means every Roman citizen, whether you are Jewish, Christian, whatever your background is, if you live in Rome, you're required to perform the religious duty of burning incense on the altar to the godhead of Caesar. And then you're given a certificate for doing that. It would be posted on your home or in your business. And without this certificate, that meant you were pretty much asking for the threat of death. And so as you can imagine, a lot of Christians at the time were being persecuted to death. And it's very likely that all the messages that John is writing to the Christian church is leaving Patmos, and it had to be read and censored by the Roman authorities. So when God gave John visions with symbols to reveal Jesus to the churches in this letter, John put his messages in code or symbols. And God gave these symbols to John, as it says in the rest of the prologue. In Revelation 1, 1 to 3, it says, The revelation from Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Now this is so interesting to me that God is not only speaking to John, but he's speaking to John in symbols in a way so that the early church will understand and the Jewish people will understand, but the Roman authorities will not. So let's keep going. In verse 4, it says, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. 
Okay, so the first time I read this, to be honest, I read this very literally, and my eyes started to glaze over a little bit. And I'm like, okay, cool, there's seven churches, there's seven spirits. But what's interesting and unique about the book of Revelation is that you do not want to take anything literally from this book. And it's literally asking you to read it symbolically. We're also reading this with the mindset that we're at the end of the first century AD as a Christian with a Jewish background. So John is relying on his readers to understand symbols from the Old Testament and his own Jewish upbringing. So John's readers could quickly make the connections with this uh, with the Jewish Bible of their day, and the Romans wouldn't be able to make these connections. For the Jewish people, numbers were highly symbolic. You'll see in like Old Testament that there's 40 days or 40 years that the Israelites, for 40 years that the Israelites are roaming around the desert. When you see Jesus is tested for 40 days, numbers are highly symbolic for the Jewish people. So when we read the number seven, right, there's seven churches and seven spirits, we may think of the number seven to us. We're reading it today as, oh, there's seven. That's like literally one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. But seven is actually uh, a quality. It's not a quantity. And the number seven at the time is a symbol of perfection and the foundation of God's word, the gospel. It actually communicated a sense of fullness or completeness. Now, this is a little bit easier for me to remember because there's seven days and a week. And on the seventh day is the Lord's day. We have completed the week in fullness. So when we read to the seven churches in the province of Asia, yes, we're talking about seven churches that existed during John's lifetime, but it's also symbolizing that this letter is written to all churches that are complete and full in God's word. Hey, I hope you've really enjoyed the first part of this sermon. These sort of productions do require some financial giving, and so if you'd like to take part in reaching more young adults across North America and even the world, would you consider giving on praxisministry.org? And there you can sign up and select Praxis Young Adults to be part of our giving campaign. Hope you enjoy the rest of this sermon. This letter can actually be taken out of its time and place and utilized to churches that come after John's time. In fact, he's basically saying, hey, it's for all Christian churches. Now, the next number to notice is the number three. Three symbolizes holiness, which may be easy to remember because the Trinity, right? The God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when you know this and you read verse four again, it says, grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come. That's three references, symbolizing three, and also an Old Testament reference from an exodus when God called Moses at the burning bush, I am that I am. So this is basically saying, hey, this is God. Now, there are over 2,000 references to the Old Testament in the book of Revelation, which unfortunately, but also fortunately, we're not going to go over. But one scholar did mention that in communicating his present will, as well as his plans for the future of his people, God uses the language of his past to reach to the members of his people in the present. I think that's so beautiful, right? God was using, was meeting people where they were in that era. And it shows that God will continue to meet us where we are today.
it's valuable to find these parallels from Old Testament and Revelation. Even if it's not the exact same description, it may hold a symbolic meaning. So we're going to keep reading. There's one more example I want to show you that Jesus uses the Old Testament and the past language to reach the people of the time. So read with me Revelation 1, 12 to 16. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Okay, number seven, we see that. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. Wow, that sounds terrifying, but also beautiful. And this is very similar to a description in Daniel 10, 5 to 6. If you go with me to Daniel 10, Daniel 10, verses 5 to 6, it says, I looked up. And there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphase around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. This is describing Jesus as the high priest. We see these descriptions as a reference to Jesus and specifically, the garments describe a priestly role, one of royal dignity. We also read in Revelation that the lampstands symbolize the church, which in Jewish tradition, the image of the lampstand, lampstand symbolized Israel's obedience to God. And these references suggest that the lampstand defines the essential role of the church as God's witness in the world. So here we read, that Jesus is standing with the churches. He's standing amongst the seven lampstands. And not just the literal seven churches in this letter, but remember to read this symbolically. This is revealing how Jesus is standing with you and with me. And just to show you how God is relevant to his people of the time, we're going to read Revelation 1 to 18. Just bear with me. I'm going to close it out soon, but just bear with me. We're going to read Revelation 1, 18. It says, Jesus says, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. When I first read this, I didn't think much of it because Revelation's confusing, but that is because I am not a first century Christian Jew. The sentence, I hold the keys of death and Hades, bears strikely, striking resemblance to a really important person at the time. It was a description of a Hellenistic goddess called Hecate. Can you guys repeat that with me? Hecate. Hecate. Who was very popular in the area of the seven churches during John's time. She was this popular goddess with universal sovereignty, and she's considered both the source and ruler of heaven, earth, and Hades. And she was popularly thought to possess the keys to the gates of heaven and Hades. She sounds super important, right? She could travel back and forth from heaven and earth and report what was going on in heaven and earth and then use angels to mediate her messages. Yet we read here that Jesus is the one who holds the keys of death and Hades. 
This entire passage from the description of Jesus amongst the candlesticks in verse 12 all the way to 18 about how Jesus holds the keys of death and Hades is intended to show parallels between the popular concept of Hecate to Jesus. John is presenting Jesus as the one who holds the keys, removes the authority of Hecate, as well as any other natural or supernatural authority to the original Christian Jewish reader. When you peel back in the symbolic meaning, it shows that Jesus is relevant. He is relevant to the people of his time and to us and our time. And he will continue to reach us where we are to get his message of love through. So that's just chapter one right there. We're done with chapter one. And then there's chapter two and three, which there are specifically seven letters that Jesus is telling John to write down. And I won't read all of it because we don't have enough time to, thank goodness. But we know that John uses numbers in a significant way. And the letters to the churches are written in one big, massive letter. So the entire book of Revelation is a letter. It shows that these letters were actually not intended to be sent out separately, right? They're all in one mass letter together. But they were intended to be read to all the churches, listed in its entirety. We also know that the letters are listed in a geographical order. So if you look on a map, we could see that they're interconnected. And so you have one messenger start from one city to another, and it literally forms a circuit. So it's all to be read together. And although the seven messengers were intended for the specific churches listed, as I said before, they actually transcend time and place limitations. And since seven, is a number of fullness or completeness. It resembles all of the Christian churches. And this letter was meant to speak to all Christians and every generation. And their contents hold implications for everyone who reads them. Honestly, if I read this letter and I knew that my church was kind of failing at a bunch of things, I can only imagine that if I, read, if I received this letter from John and my church is like the last one listed, and then I read a bunch of the things of how like all these churches are failing before mine, I might even feel a little bit good about myself because I'd be like, oh, it's not just me. These seven churches actually provide examples of the kinds of things that can go wrong in any church. And I encourage you tonight to read through these seven letters to the seven churches. But one thing I want you to notice is I love that Jesus presents himself in a unique way to each individual church. No church gets the whole Jesus, but no two of them share the same aspect of Jesus because Jesus works in our lives to reach us where we are. You'll also notice a pattern between all of these letters. One biblical scholar says that each church is in decline compared with the preceding one. Yet each receives more promises than the one that before it did. That increased in promises along with the spiritual decline in the churches. And this relates to Paul's statement that where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. There's truly nothing that can stop the love of Jesus. And I truly believe that the book of Revelation is a love story to us as well. I'm going to invite the band to come up as we are going to be closing soon. But I want to read one of my favorite New Testament verses. In Romans 8.38, Paul writes, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, 
neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus wants to reveal himself in your life as well. And I love that Pastor Randy um, spoke about this last weekend, and he said, bottom line, revelation is all to do with Jesus. The God of the apocalypse is a tender God and an apocalyptic story. Ultimately, the book of Revelation reveals Jesus in the midst of world events and our personal lives and within the church. And it's our duty as Christians to present Jesus Christ in a way that meets people where they are. And now when you read the book of Revelation, I encourage you to read it with the knowledge of a little bit of symbolism. Whether it's knowing about numbers or parallels to Old Testament references or key words or historical context, and know that Jesus is in everything. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. In our following sermons, you'll be going through some interesting topics. And I'm going to read some of the titles to you. The one called, the only one called worthy. When the trumpet sounds, it is time, the cosmic, it is time. The cosmic conflict from A to Z. Scary, but not scary. The woman, the beast, and the justice of Jesus. And the last one is the wedding, the writer, and the end of the journey. We hope that you guys will join us this summer and you will find, and as we continue to journey together, to find Jesus in the book of Revelation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for this time that we've just had a little bit of a foundational piece of reading the last book of your word, the book of Revelation. I know that it can seem so daunting at times, but God, I pray that in each series that we read this book, that we find you, this tender, loving God, that will continue to reach to the early church, that will reach to us in our lives, and will reach us in our future. We thank you so much for the love that you continue to have for us. In your name we pray. Hey, I'm so glad that you listened to the Night Church podcast sermon today. I know that God is going to do great things in your life. Whatever you felt and heard from the Lord through this sermon, I hope that you would share this with someone that you love and care about and that you would consider even joining us one Friday evening. Blessings to you and hope you get to listen to the next one coming up soon.